Hey there, and welcome to Taiwan Plus ICRT. It's an interview series brought to you by Taiwan's only all-English video streaming platform and all-English radio station. I'm Trevor Tordemasi, your host today, and today in the studio we have Priya Lalwani Perswani. Hi, everyone. Everyone calls me Priya. Priya. So we'll just go with Priya, also known as Li Meijin, correct? Yes, that is my Chinese name. Okay. Can you tell us a little bit about what you do in Taiwan? So I've been in Taiwan for over 34 years, and right now I work as an interpreter. I do simultaneous interpretation between Mandarin and English, mostly. Occasionally, I have to do Mandarin Hindi mm-hmm. or Mandarin Urdu. That's my job. But on the side, I also do lots of other stuff. Um, I try to bring India and Taiwan closer together. I, I guess I'm wondering, I read that your father was one of the earliest Indian professors at a Taiwanese university, and you were also one of the first Indian university students in Taiwan, if not the first. Can you tell me a little bit about your early journey to Taiwan? Sure. So I came to Taiwan in 1987 with my parents. And as you said, my father was invited as a visiting professor at Datong University. It wasn't even a university then. It was called Datong Institute of Technology. And there were very few Indians in academia in Taiwan at that time. Most of the Indians there at that time were in business. They were um, exporting from Taiwan because Taiwan was an export-oriented economy. So they were part of Taiwan's economic miracle. Taiwan the Jingjie This was uh, in the 19, late 90s. And then people, engineers start coming, software engineers and um, Indian expats who are in high-level positions in the multinational companies. And then the student community started increasing. So now mm. we have 2,500 students plus minus at the moment in Taiwan. And in 1987, there was one. In uni- I'm talking about university students. University students. Yeah. So what was it like growing up in Taiwan, essentially? I mean, if you start that early, I think it, we're always growing up, right? But if you start that early, what, what was it like being in local schooling systems? Life was very different at that time. So these days, if you go out, you can usually find at least half the people will be able to converse with you or give you directions or help you out in English. But at that time, it was very rare. And Taiwanese people were even more scared of speaking in English. And we did not live where in Tianmu, where all the foreigners stay. And we kind of mixed with the with the local community, understood the local culture, the food and the language. And I think that really helped. It, it was, I think if you put forward that effort to to belong, then the local community embraces you. And so this sort of influenced your your life path as well and the career that you've ended up in now. Exactly. So if it weren't for that period of uh, studying in a local university with classes taught eight hours a day completely in Mandarin and exposure to 40 Taiwanese classmates six days a week, uh, I, I don't think I would have been able to pick up Uh, Mandarin the way that I was. Since then, it has really helped me because I'm now able to work as an interpreter, which requires a whole different level of language ability than just being conversant in a, in a, in a second language. So I, I would say my A language. So in interpretation, we talk about our A language and our B language, at, mm-hmm. as our working languages. My A language is English, and I would say my B language is Mandarin, It's which is better than my C language, which is Hindi. So that's dropped to a a third position. And Sindhi as well? Sindhi is my mother tongue, meaning right. um, it's the uh, the language that my parents spoke at home. Mm-hmm. And it's originates from the Sindh state, but uh, I do speak Sindhi as well. So Sindhi and Hindi would be both in third place. Also on, on your journey to becoming an interpreter, you worked previously for the India Taipei Association, which is the de facto uh, embassy for India and Taiwan. 
that was established here in 1995, you said. Right. So in 1995, Taiwan and India set up offices on both sides. So Taiwan set up the Taipei Economic and Cultural Center in New Delhi, and India set up the India-Taipei Association in Taiwan. And uh, I remember the... Uh, the, the first representative was a retired ambassador, Mr. Vinod Khanna, and uh, he was looking for people who could work in the office. And through various different contacts, he all of them l- kind of led to me because he needed someone who was uh, familiar with India and Taiwan and knew the languages. So I was there for three years until we started um, visa services and passport services. And I think I learned more about India during those three years than my entire life before that because I haven't really spent much time in India. Mm-hmm. I've grown up in uh, Nigeria and in Germany wow. before coming to Taiwan. So, And that made me realize how important it is because one of the missions of India Taipei Association is increasing people-to-people ties between India and Taiwan. And I really realized the importance of that. And since I left India Taipei Association, I have been still working towards that goal on my own through different um, activities that we organize. What other organizations or programs or even celebrations have sprouted from this India-Taiwan relationship since then? So since um, India-Taipei Association started, uh, they've been organizing different events or activities, cultural activities. In collaboration with that, we have the Indian Cultural Festival, which is um, an open festival organized by the India Music and Culture Center. And it's been held for 17 years. It's we, we had to pause last year because of COVID, but otherwise we hold it every year and it involves um, inviting artists from India to do performances. And we all usually have an Indian bazaar and we also have Indian food. In 2021, it was held on a really big scale. Mm. And this was held in collaboration with New Taipei City Government. And it was the first time we had 3,000 people attend. And we we feel that before, when I first came to Taiwan, everyone would say, oh, Indians eat with their hands and oh, it's, it's very hot in India. But now when you go out and people, I talk about India or I say I'm from India, people say, oh, Indians are very smart. Oh, Indians are very good engineers or um, Indian curry is really tasty. Mm-hmm. So they're still stereotypes, right. but they kind of don't sound as negative as they did in the past. This is something we're trying to achieve and we feel that there is more friendship, I think, between India and Taiwan has developed in mm-hmm. the last year. Uh, maybe... The last year? Yeah, the, okay. in, during the last year. Because of COVID, Taiwan's visibility has really increased mm-hmm. worldwide. And India is no exception. People in India can see the the impact that Taiwan is having around the world, how Taiwan is helping others, that Taiwan can help logo it's well known in india as well and uh, people appreciate that um, it is for the benefit of everyone if if different countries around the world collaborate um even on social media taiwan's twitter account is so popular and there have been so many memes and and like the uh, taiwan holding a boba and prime minister modi holding an indian milk tea and toasting i don't know if mm-hmm. you've seen that so all of these things have garnered a lot of uh, reactions on social media on both sides. And uh, I, I hope this continues. And also similarly, the mm. TECC in Delhi has mm. been doing a lot of work. But India is a larger country. It is tough for one office to, to, 
do as much or to have as much impact. But it, they have roadshows to introduce Taiwan to the Indian public. They have the Taiwan Expo. And I think awareness about Taiwan is increasing in India as well. So it's both ways. Being in this unique position as sort of a cultural bridge, maybe on a small scale or a larger scale in Taiwan, working this with these organizations and having this unique history in learning Chinese from a young age, um, you founded your own interpreting company. Freely Translation and Consulting is uh, the company that I founded and it provides language services, mainly English to Mandarin interpretation, but also other language services as needed. For example, lots of foreigners who live in Taiwan need their documents translated and then notarized. So we also provide consulting on this. I've been interpreting since 1997. So it's a uh, we have a lot of experience in different kinds of services. Can you tell me sort of what is the balance between translation and interpreting in, in your normal work? Sure. So interpreting is basically listening in one language and translating into a different language orally, verbally. And there are two kinds. So they're simultaneous and consecutive. Consecutive is when you when the speaker stops and then the translator translates and then the speaker continues. But can, I do more simultaneous interpreting mm. where the speaker keeps on talking and I keep on interpreting at the same time. Simultaneous interpreting requires um, equipment. Mm -hmm. um, so we uh, usually the fancy equipment will actually be a booth like this will be there'll be two interpreters sitting inside and taking turns interpreting for 20, 15 to 20 minute sessions mm -hmm. and people listening to the to the interpretation will need to wear headsets on their seats. Um, in some places where they don't have the budget or the means or space to have a booth like that, we might just live, sit, be sitting in a corner away from the speakers and speaking into little devices that I've brought samples of if you want to see later. I, I sure. You want to bust them out now? Yeah, sure. We've never had this interactive segment of the show. This is awesome. If you're listening on the podcast, I'm leaving this in so you can go watch the video. So where, where the space or time or budget doesn't allow for a full booth because that that tends to be expensive or if there are only very few people who need to listen to the interpreter we use this kind of daolan uh, sheet home or a tour guide system mm. so the interpreter wears this side with a microphone and that's the transmitter and there's that's the receiver okay. so the people who want to hear the interpretation will just put this into the ears and they can hear the interpretation live Real-time interpretation, which also allows for simultaneous without the booth and all the fancy equipment. And in addition to this, sometimes we just do whispering while the main speaker is doing it up ahead. So I do all of this. More of the and, whispering. And then you're, you're literally just whispering into their ear as they're. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. It's been hard with COVID with the masks and everything because that muffles. Right. Even with these, it's very muffling. So I tend to socially distance myself and just take the mask off or I need to wear the mask on top of this. We, we had to come up with so many um, hacks. To, right, exactly. <laughs> you don't want it to devolve into simultaneous because interpretation Because most of the whispering I do yeah. is, is for Mayor... I, I interpret for Mayor Ko and Mayor Ho. Mm -hmm. I'm the designated interpreter for the Taipei City Government Secretariat and the new Taipei City Government Secretariat. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it's um, awkward for both myself and the mayor to be whispering on the side of them, especially when they have all these cameras in their faces. Right, so this yeah. works out as a good uh, like solution. But it's it's been very interesting and I really love I love doing this job. What topic or industry do you most often interpret for? Or which one is the most fun? 80% of my work is simultaneous interpretation for market research focus groups. So a lot of focus groups are held in Taiwan, and, but the clients are might be f foreigners and they don't know what the Taiwanese consumer is saying. So my job is to interpret the Taiwanese consumers' views and comments 
to the foreign client. And that's what I started in 1997. Most of my work is still this because there are not many interpreters in Taiwan who can handle the intricacies and the, the, the workload that comes with focus group interpreting because each focus group lasts for about two hours. Mm -hmm. And it's one interpreter doing it solo. That's a it's long like, time for it. It's not like conference thing. interpreting where two people can take turns. Right. So people who are trained as conference interpreters don't like to do focus groups generally because they would have to work solo for two hours instead of switching with a partner every 20 minutes. Is it generally 20 minutes that fast? They Yeah, they switch every 15 to 20 wow. minutes. And it's actually by the clock. Like it's very Because it's tough on the brain. It is. Oh my yeah. goodness. Psychologists are still trying to work very hard to understand how interpreters' brains work. How has the landscape of simultaneous interpretation or just translation in general changed over the course of your career? Because we have so many things that can do it automatically now, obviously not nearly to a, a human level of detail, but how do you see that changing in the future? Yeah, this has been a, a very hot topic among interpreters. We're discussing whether we'll soon be losing our jobs, but the way things are progressing right now, it doesn't seem like it'll happen anytime soon mm -hmm. because there is so much var variability in the way people talk and accents and this kind of stuff. So AI is working very hard to convert speech into text yeah. and then translate the text and then produce it into speech again. But that's going to take longer. And the other uh, the other thing we've seen is uh, just, just show the translated text, kind of like YouTube does with their automatic... Uh, automatic subtitles right yeah but it still doesn't make sense very often unless unless a person enunciates clearly and speaks in very simple sentences like this then ai will understand what they're saying so i think we have another 10 years only 10 i thought you were gonna say we have another 100 years or so depends on the languages so for okay. between between european languages it's easier because their structure is so similar so but between languages like hindi Chinese, Mandarin, Chinese, English, this is going to be harder. Mm. That's just my, my feeling. I'll tell you what tends to go along. The titles of like organizations and like yes. meetings in Chinese, translating into English. Do you translate every single word every time I, as part of your job too, I guess? We, we strongly suggest clients to provide us with all of this information beforehand uh -huh. because there's no way we will know 100% everything that they're going to say. Hmm. So if there are... Guest names, organization names, place names, um, these need to be provided. And we actually, interpreters will prepare a glossary beforehand, bilingual glossary, that we can refer to while we're speaking. And while we're interpreting, we try to cover everything. If we're not sure, sometimes we just transliterate or use the same sound as in English, if mm -hmm. we're not sure. Um, and I guess sort of as this representative of, of India for so many years and, and a... Um, uh, a very powerful connecting force between India and Taiwan. What would you like to say to the people of Taiwan? A lot of Indians in Taiwan feel Taiwan is their second home because it's given them a safe and friendly and convenient place to live in. Uh, this I can say this because I am the admin for a group on Facebook called Indians in IIT Indians in Taiwan, and we have over six thousand people. And this is something that everyone agrees. Um, we we I've tried to 
provide them with a, a platform where people can share information if people have questions about life in Taiwan, build this, this community where people can feel at home even when they're in Taiwan. And Taiwan has Taiwan and the people of Taiwan have helped them feel that. There are still some stereotypes that do exist, and I hope that Taiwanese people can embrace foreigners, the foreign community, not just people of a certain color or race, but all foreigners, including uh, people of all different colors, and also try to understand more about these different cultures and get rid of some of the stereotypes that exist in Taiwan. Okay, thank you. Dissolving Cultural Stereotypes, Priya Lalwani Perswani, thank you so much for coming in, Lee Matrine. And uh, is there anything else you'd like to say about where people can find you or your work? I have a Facebook page, Priya Lee Translation and Consulting. And also, if you're interested in knowing about Indian culture, the Indian Cultural Festival we talked about, we sometimes hold Indian festivals such as Holi and Diwali. If you would like to know more about such events, which are open to the public, you can follow the page IIT Indians in Taiwan. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. All right, guys. Thank you very much for listening to Taiwan Plus on ICRT. See you next time. Hey there. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode. If you'd like to hear more from ICRT, you can check out our other podcasts. We've got Taiwan This Week, a roundup of the news in Taiwan every Friday. English in the News, for useful English expressions explained in Chinese, and EZ News, spelled with the letters E and Z, for simplified daily news. For some lighter news in both English and Chinese, check out News Bites and News for Kids. And if you enjoy them, tell a friend. Thanks for listening.